when people fall in love, let go of the programming and then do what? Operate from the creative conscious mind where they create heaven on earth. I go, oh my God, it was the programs that kept us from experiencing heaven on earth. Stop playing those programs. And all of a sudden, guess what? You can create the honeymoon. That is the heaven on earth experience. I go, it's always been there. The only reason we don't experience it generally for ourselves is we are thinking too much. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is Dr. Bruce Lipton. Bruce is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit, stem cell biologist, best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He has been a speaker on hundreds, probably thousands, millions of TV and radio shows, as well as keynote presenter for national and international conferences. Welcome to the show, Bruce. I am so delighted to be here with you. You know, Drew, this is a, a world of strangeness, yet it's, it, it's a very positive world out there, even though when you look at it, it looks kind of crazy, but below the surface of all this chaos, there's a, a, a building of a new civilization, which is very exciting. Well, you know what? That that's That's a great place to start, Bruce, because I've heard you say that we're in the middle of a sixth mass extinction as a result of human behavior. Yet I've also heard you say that we have a choice and we can focus on what's breaking down or what's being built up. And, and I'd love you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, basically, uh, there have been five previous mass extinctions this planet has experienced. Uh, the last one, 66 million years ago, was at the time when the dinosaurs were here and there were lush forests and jungles and all that kind of stuff. And a comet hit near Mexico in the Yucatan, uh, a very large comet. And it upended the web of life and wiped out, of course, all the dinosaurs got wiped out and the forest got wiped out and up to 90% of life disappeared. And that's, that was the fifth time this has happened in the history of the planet. Uh, so there were four previous versions where life was thriving and then it, it, it was shaken and then it was gone. Uh, I, I like to consider when I was a young guy, there, there was a, um, a toy where... Uh, uh, you could um, scratch the surface of it uh, and, and um, make an image, and then you shake it. Uh, Etch-a-sketch, I think, was the name of it. Yeah. Uh, and so you could create an image, uh, and then you shake it, and then it disappears. <laughs> and then you can start again. And I say, well, the, the five mass extinctions have already done this, shaken the Earth's ecosystem. Up to 90% of life got wiped out in a number of them. Uh, but today we're in the sixth mass extinction. Uh, what makes it unique is that the previous five were natural causes like tectonic plates moving or comets, as I mentioned, hitting the earth. But we're facing a mass extinction, meaning uh, we're losing species of organisms on this planet faster than even in previous mass extinctions. Uh, and when science wanted to say, what's the cause of this upheaval in the web of life, it turns out human behavior uh, is completely disturbing the balance of nature. 
uh, and as a result of uh, undermining the planet, removing the resources, uh, polluting the water, the air, uh, all these kind of things that humans have done uh, have precipitated now. I mean, just to give an idea of it, uh, the World Wildlife Foundation in 1970, so 50 years ago, uh, did a survey how many animals are on planet Earth, the whole number. Uh, they just recently redid the survey and two thirds of the animals population has disappeared. We only have one third the number of animals on this planet than, than just 50 years ago. Wow. And it's declining faster. In fact, uh, a scary one is the way we polluted uh, the seas and overfishing and destroying breeding grounds. Uh, science has recognized this is like science fiction, almost like there will be no fish uh, in the oceans on planet Earth in 2048. Now, that's not a million years from now. We're talking an extinction that's within this century. So cause human behavior, resolution, change human behavior. Uh, and, and to recognize that it's so fundamental the way we've lived on this planet that in order to change it, uh, you, you can't put Band-Aids on the existing system. You, you actually have to bring it down to the foundation, break it down, and then rebuild a civilization. So the analogy that I give people is sort of like uh, a, a caterpillar is like one of the most voracious organisms. If you put a caterpillar on a plant, it will eat all the leaves off of that plant. But at some point, it reaches a certain size, and, and then that caterpillar stops moving and puts itself inside a cocoon, and out of that cocoon comes a butterfly. We go from the most voracious organism, caterpillar, to the butterfly, which has uh, you know the lightest footprint on the planet, hardly even touches the ground. So uh, I go, so what does that mean? It's a metamorphosis. I go, so... Well, consider this. Uh, a caterpillar is an organism made out of billions of cells, and cells are like miniature people. They have the same functions and needs as our bodies because our bodies are made out of cells. So when we try to take care of our bodies, we have to give it what it needs. The cells in a caterpillar have the same function and, and working ethic. And I go, so why is it relevant? I say, well, when the caterpillar is growing and feeding everything, the digestive system is working, the muscles are going, the whole thing is in process. But when it goes into the state of the cocoon, it stops growing, stops moving. And I go, so why is it relevant? I say, well, put yourself in a, uh, one of the cells in the population of that, that caterpillar body, and you were, your job was, let's say, digestive system. And all of a sudden, I say, well, there's no more food. <laughs> Nothing's coming in. I go, wow, then your job is, is not going anymore. You lose your job. And all of a sudden, you start to look around in this caterpillar inside the cocoon. You look at the cellular population. You start to realize, oh, my God, they're, they're, they're losing their work. They're not doing the same jobs anymore. This thing, you know, it's falling apart. Civilization of, uh, of cells in that caterpillar is in chaos at this moment. The cells are, are not, you know, they're, they're losing their, their functions and jobs. It's like a soup of cells. I go, yeah, but what's happening? I say, well, simultaneously, there are some specialized cells called, and I love the name, imaginal cells. Mm -hmm. and, and imaginal cells uh, have a vision of a future where they coordinate and organize that, that cellular population that, that is all broken up and in chaos. Uh, the uh, imaginal cells reorganize it and create the foundation and development of the butterfly 
So I say, well, in a cocoon, then one structure is coming down and another structure is being built. I go, absolutely. And I go, so why is it relevant? I said, well, human civilization, like the caterpillar, most voracious appetite has essentially undermined, destroyed the ecosystem that we're living in, precipitating an extinction. Point is, you can't do this anymore. And interestingly enough, the COVID uh, chaos part of what's going on, uh, look what it did. It changed jobs a lot. People, you know, have to change their careers or things aren't working the way they are were before. And I go, precisely. This is the state of the human civilization caterpillar of uh, falling apart. But in the process, we're building something more sustainable to move into the future. So uh, and you look in the population, I go, yeah, the large number of the population. And unfortunately, most people who are part of the caterpillar look at it and go, oh, my God, the thing is falling apart. You know, <laughs> and I go, yeah, that, that, that's actually necessary. If it didn't fall apart, our extinction is looming within a few decades. And I go, what else is happening? I say, well, well, simultaneously as it's falling apart, there are the imaginal cells out there and the people working toward what? A new version of civilization, a sustainable one, uh, an ecologically balanced uh, civilization where we can uh, be part of the garden without destroying the garden. Uh, and so I say, well, then what? And I say, well, if you're a cell and I'm a cell and Drew, you're a cell, we're all here in this uh, cocoon in a sense. And I say, what's going on? I say, well, you're watching the old system fall apart. And I say, uh, and if you tie yourself to that vision, unfortunately, that's a scary vision, because if you think that's the way of life and it's falling apart, that, that's threatening. Mm. But on the other hand, you have an opportunity. You don't have to look at the one falling apart, recognizing that the one that's falling apart is the problem that we're facing. Uh, but we start to put our focus, attention and interest on the one that's being built. And, and this is the most positive, healthy response that an individual cell or a human can do at this time is to start to reorganize and say, we need a better way of living on this planet. That's why you're seeing a lot of stuff that's been you know, put under the carpet, so to speak, that we don't want to talk about, like Black Lives Matter or Me Too generation. Uh, I say, what, what's going on? I say, the, these are things that weren't really good <laughs> in the old structure, and we have to bring them to the surface. Why? Well, if you're going to move into the future, you can't have that that stuff underneath that was, you know, really destroying the foundation. So when you look at the world and it's in a state of chaos and, and you start to see all these things showing up where uh, people, you know, it's like economic, social, political, religious, racial, every level, there's some kind of strife going on. Yeah. I go, yeah, yeah uh, expect this. I go, why? Because it wasn't working, even if you put a nice rug on top of it underneath it, it was still rotten in there. Uh, and so it's everything's coming to the surface for what? To move from here into the sustainable, thrivable future that could be in front of us. We have to uh, reconsider who we are, how we are, how we relate. What, what are people, you know? And, and, and I go, well, this is the whole idea. While we look at, uh, at people as individual humans, I go... From a biological point of view, all humans are the equivalent of cells, they are, uh, and they don't recognize that they're part of a larger multicellular organism called humanity. We focus on the human, but have not paid attention to the collection of humans, which represents a super organism called humanity. That's our, our way out. Mm. That's where we're going we're gonna to make it. Uh, so time of chaos, 
You could uh, live in fear, which is going to cause all kinds of illness because stress hormones uh, shut off the immune system. And so watch all the people get stressed here, start getting sick uh, and start recognizing that we have to de-stress. We have to rebuild. We have to look at how can we work together in harmony and community uh, uh, because that's the evolution call that we have to respond to at this time. So my point is very simple. Yeah, it's a very scary place out there. And if you focus on the coming down stuff, it's even more scary. Uh, but in contrast, we have an opportunity to say, no, let, let's start putting together the things that that can help us move into the future in a better social structure. Drew, your show to me is very important in this regard, because then you give an opportunity to give some information to say, hey, there's a better direction. And that what's going on is not a coincidence or an accident. It is actually an evolutionary upheaval that gives humanity a chance to survive if we pay attention. And that's that's the exciting moment, if you think about it, that we're in right now. Absolutely, Bruce. And I've also, I've heard you say that love, that love itself represents harmony between a person and the environment. And it does seem like there, there is this contrast between love and fear. And I mean, anybody that puts on the news, I mean, we're reminded 24 hours a day that we need to be afraid. Um, Bruce, how do, we, how do we make our way to our hearts? Or how do we make our way to love and, and move away from the fear? I think one of the most important things, and I, this is you know what I carried out in my own life, so I'm speaking from, okay, I tried it and it really works, <laughs> uh, is basically to start to recognize this that energy is life. That's a fact. Everyone always talks about it. Energy is life. It is. If you have energy, you can use that energy to, to live. If you have no energy, you, you can't live. So all of a sudden, it comes down to this point. It says, well, how are you spending your energy as an individual? I go, what do you mean? I go, uh, you, you know, if we have a bank account and we could say the money in that bank account is the expression of how much life we could have. You got lots of money. You can have a good life. You got little money. It's not so great. So I'm saying so uh, the bank account is very important. I say you you have a checkbook and you can go out and write checks for things. And generally, you know, we're very cautious and recognize, you know, I'm writing a check for something that I need and useful to me. I'm not just, you know, (laughs) making checks for the fun of it, you know, like walk down the street. Hey, Drew, you got such a a great smile. Here's a check for ten dollars because of that beautiful smile. And hey, Mary, you got such a nice pair of shoes. Here's ten dollars for you. I say you don't go around giving money away why it's your life and then i go guess what in the body energy is actually uh related to a molecule just like money called atp As a matter of fact biologists have referred to this energy molecule atp as the coin of the realm meaning that was the exchange of energy and i go so why i say well what if i give you an energy checkbook and I go, what do you mean? I go, well, every time you have to expend energy, you have to write a check. And I go, well, yeah, this is important. Why? Because if you run out of your energy, you, you're broke and, and, and you're not going to survive. So I go, so why is it relevant? I said, then you'd stop. You'd stop and realize, what are you participating in? Where are you directing your energy at this time? And if it's wasted, then you're compromising your life. So I go, so what does that mean? I say, old story from hippie days, before you go out and change the world, take care of your own backyard. 
And I go, this is what we have to do. A lot of people want to go out there and run in the front lines and say, let's fix this world, let's change it. And I say, yeah, but their own personal private lives are probably not living in harmony in the first place. So before we go out and change the world, we have to make sure, are we in harmony? And harmony uh, uh, is health. Disharmony is dis-ease. And I say, well, what is harmony? I say living in balance in the world in which you live, whether it's in your own yard or getting out of your yard and living in the rest of the world. First, you take care of your own yard. Are, are you healthy, happy, safe in your own place? Are you putting energy into things that have no value? In other words, uh, people get into these political arguments and they get all excited and jump up and down and get all their energy worked up. And I say, now that you finished your argument, I said, did you change the world? And the answer was no. Then I say, all that energy you just use, you, just, you threw it away. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you energy, if it doesn't, if it doesn't re produce a return, why do you invest in it? And all of a sudden you start to realize, oh my goodness, I'm investing in things that don't return money, don't return energy. And I got to take care of myself. And then all of a sudden I say, well, that's why if I had an energy checkbook before you invested your time, your energy, and you had to write that check, I would say, is this investment of energy going to return something to you or is it just energy goodbye? And I say, why? Because it redirects how you live, how you spend that energy of your life. Is it contributing to your to your health? Is it contributing to your family and your community or are your efforts just, you know, going in the wind. And I say, why is this relevant? Because so many people are so concerned about things that they have no power over, but they put their life energy into it. And I say, well, you just spent that energy. To, are you any better from it? Uh, and basically, it's a moment to pause to say, before I go do X, does X provide anything back in my life? And I go, if it does, then invest. But if X is a waste of time, it's a where well, we do it because of social. This is just the way social organization works. We do it because that's the way everybody does it. And I go, did it return anything? It's still the bottom line. And if it doesn't, then all of a sudden you realize you are eliminating energy or losing energy. And I go, yeah, but energy is life. And all of a sudden, if you really start to realize that all of a sudden you are more practical in how you use your life to enhance your vitality, to enhance the vitality of the community of loved ones that are around you. And then when that's all really working well, we can go out and work on a bigger picture. But first, come home and take care of ourselves. Love that. Bruce, you once said to me that we are so immensely powerful and yet have so little belief in ourselves. And, and I'm just wondering, for anybody struggling out there with negative probably subconscious beliefs. I mean, many of us have them, maybe all of us have them. Um, that all we, of us, all of us. All of us, too. you know, that, all I'm of us. <laughs> that I'm weak, that I'm powerless, that I'm unhealthy, that I can't do this, I can't do that. Bruce, how do we break out of that cycle? Well, <clears throat> first thing we have to recognize is simply this. The most valid science on this planet, of all the different versions, biology, chemistry, and all that, Quantum physics is the most valid science, the most truthful, the one that has been tested the most and affirmed to be the truest of all. I go, so why, why am I emphasizing that? Because I say the primary principle of quantum physics from 1927 when it was first recognized 
to the current time, the primary principle of quantum physics is consciousness is creating your life experience. And then you look around and go, I don't want to create this. <laughs> I'm not creating this. And I go, well, we are. But then I say, well, because consciousness is misunderstood because it's consciousness is the mind. And I go, yeah, but the problem is this. There are two minds, two different uh, functions. Each mind has its own function and each mind learns in a different way. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, hidden in that one word mind is a little more complex than what we thought. So I say, yeah, we have the subconscious mind, which is the first mind. It's subconscious, meaning you don't have to think about things like your heart rate, your breathing, your respiration. Uh, you don't have to think about things. Uh, you can learn programs. So the subconscious is like a hard drive in a computer. You download programs. Yeah, it, it's not evil, like everyone said, subconscious hell and, you know, the, that whole idea of Freudian, you know, messing around in there. And I go, no, no, look. The subconscious is a record playback mechanism. It learns something, and then when you push the button, it will play that thing until you're dead. Fortunately, there are good things in there. Like when you learned how to walk, Drew, you were less than two, and you could be 100, and guess what? You don't have to relearn how to walk. That's a subconscious program. Thank God. <laughs> you know, you could go your whole life, 100 years, uh, with the original program. Because uh, uh, subconscious has habits. It doesn't want to change. Now, of course, if you get a bad program in there, then you can live 100 years with a bad program in there, too. So I say, OK, let's go back. Mind, two parts. Subconscious, the most primitive developmental part. The latest evolution of the mind is the conscious mind. That's the one right behind your forehead. Now, the difference between the two is, as I said, subconscious mind is record and playback. Uh, and conscious mind is imagination and creativity. So I go, oh, I get programs and then, but I also have a conscious mind, which can have an imagination and I can create from that imagination. That's what makes humans so different than lower organisms. So we have this ability of imagination and then to take the conscious mind, use that mind to create a life that manifests those, uh, uh, the, those things we imagine. I guess, so why is it relevant? Conscious mind creative, subconscious mind is programmed. The mind is a computer. That's basically the supercomputer. And I go, so why is it relevant? I said, well, it has the same characters of any computer. So I said, go to the store and let's buy a new computer right now. So, Drew, we take this computer home, we plug it in, we push start, and guess what? <laughs> uh, nothing happens. I got a brand new computer. It booted up. That's nothing happening. I said, well, draw something or make a spreadsheet or let's write an essay. I go, no, I can't do it. I go, why not? First, you have to put programs into the hard drive. Then you can use those programs to manifest what you want. So I go, oh, my God, the brain is a computer. Yes, the hard drive is the subconscious. That's where programs are. They get downloaded in there. And I say, what? Once the programs are in, then the conscious mind can, you know, uh, use the keyboard and put the and do what it wants. So the conscious mind can be creative, but not without a program. So I said, well, why is it relevant? So the first seven years of our lives, uh, that's when the subconscious acquires its programs. For what? Listen to this. How to be a member of a family and how to be a member of a community. 
I go, what do you mean? I said, there are rules, <laughs> thousands of rules to be a functional member of a family and community. I say, how does an infant learn these rules? They can't read a book. They can't go to school. They're infants. And I go, nature created the mind and the brain in the first seven years to be in hypnosis. It's called theta. It's a, when you put wires on a person's head, EEG, electroencephalograph, and read brain function. Theta is a, a vibrational phase of consciousness, but it's below our consciousness. It's actually a state of hypnosis. A child in the first seven years is predominantly in theta. I say, so why? I go, because to learn, all it has to do is watch the mother, the father, the siblings, community, just watch them, and it will download how they behave. And then we have program. I go, so what was the point? I go, well, the programs in your subconscious mind didn't even come from you. They came from observing other people. And I go, so why is it relevant? Well, first of all, they probably didn't, you know, have the same wishes and desires that you do. And I go, well, there's a problem because these programs then won't support where we're going. And we find out that most people, up to 70% of the programs we got downloaded with as children in that first seven years, up to 70% of those programs are disempowering and self-sabotaging beliefs that we downloaded. So I go, why is it relevant? Because our subconscious has got programs that don't support who we are, what we want to be, why? It came from other people. And I go, so why is it relevant? I don't need to use that. I can use the conscious mind and type on the keyboard and put in my data and create my life. I go, yes, but the problem is we are only conscious in our cognitive activity for about 5% of the time. I go, what does that mean? I said, conscious mind, the creative mind is controlling the character of our life about 5% for almost everyone. I go, well, then who's controlling the rest? 95%. I go, the subconscious programs that we were downloaded with. So I said, wait, wait a minute, I'm not, uh, uh, my conscious wishes and desires are only operating 5% of the time, and the programs that I got from other people are operating 95% of the time. The simple reason is this, conscious mind is not only creative, but it can think. He goes, so what? And I say, hey, you know, look, Drew, today's Monday uh, where we are, and I say, uh, listen, uh, Drew, tell me what you're doing on Thursday. Now, absolutely, if you are right there at your, your seat right now, Drew, and I say, what are you doing on Thursday? And it's, let's say it's not written in front of you. I bet you in a couple seconds, you can tell me exactly what you're doing on Thursday. I say, where'd you get that? Oh, you were thinking. You went into your head to go through your own little calendar. Oh, yeah, Thursday. What am I doing on Thursday? I say, oh, you were thinking. I go, yeah. I say, relevance. The conscious mind is either outside creating the world that you want, or the conscious mind is inside thinking. Because when it's thinking, it's not in control. I say, yeah, but what if I'm driving a car and I have a thought and I go, hey, guess what? You didn't crash and the car drove pretty reasonably. And I go, well, how'd that happen if my conscious mind wasn't paying attention? I go, subconscious is autopilot. When you are thinking, your life is now an expression of the programs that you got in the subconscious. And then I go back and oh my God, up to 70% of those programs are disempowering and mm -hmm. self-sabotaging. So for all of us, we're not creating the lives that we want, we're creating the lives we've been programmed with. And 
Most of those programs are disempowering or self-sabotaging or limiting beliefs that limit who we are and the power who we are. I go, why is it relevant? I say, because we've been programmed to be victims. Oh, we have no power over our biology. We have no power over life, blah, blah, blah. And then I go, yeah, and what are quantum physics, the most valid science recognized? We are creating this life. And I go, well, then how come this life isn't what I want it to be? And I go, oh, unfortunately, 95% of my creation is not coming from my conscious wishes and desires. It's coming from my subconscious program. And that applies to everyone out there who is listening to this. And you go, oh, wait, if I have destructive behaviors in my subconscious and I'm playing them, I, I would see it. And I go, that is where the problem comes from. But I say, why? I say, when you are playing these subconscious programs, what was the reason you were playing them for? <gasps> Conscious mind wasn't paying attention. It was thinking. I go, oh, my God. Then that means when I am thinking, subconscious steps in as autopilot, plays whatever behaviors that were programmed into me, but I did not see it. And uh, Drew, I'm sure on the last time we were together, I probably gave the same story, but it's 30 some years old, old story. I'm pretty used to it. Yeah. I wish I could find a different one. But the story <laughs> uh, is simply this. You have a friend, you know your friend's behavior very well, and you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the same behavior as their parent. So, of course, you want to you want to say something. You go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And I say, back away from Bill. The moment you say that, the first thing Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. And when I give this in the audience uh, in a lecture, they all start to laugh. Why? Because they're all familiar with it. I say, that is the most profound story in the world at this moment. I go, what do you mean? I say, everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who can't see it is Bill. I go, how does that, how does that work? I go, just as I just said, he downloaded the programs from his dad in the first years and 95% of his life, while his conscious mind is busy thinking, he's just playing those programs. But his conscious mind, not paying attention because his conscious mind is inside thinking, does not observe that. So basically, 95% of the day he's playing programs he's not even observing. Well, I go, we are all Bill, Drew. All <laughs> of us are Bill. I go, what does that mean? I said, Every one of us all day, 95% of the day, are playing these programs and not paying attention because our conscious mind is busy thinking. We look at the world and say, I woke up this morning, conscious mind, wishes and desires. Today's the day I'm going to get healthy. Today I'm going to find the perfect relationship. I'm going to get the best job today. And conscious mind, wishes and desires. And I say, then at five o'clock, you come home and you go, no, it didn't happen. Didn't happen today. I go, why not? And you go, oh, well, the whatever, I'm a victim of X or Y, and people did that, and other people did this, and I'm just a victim here. And I go, there are no victims. <laughs> We're all creators. If there's victim, that's a creation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and like Bill, we're so blind to the fact that 95% of the behavior that's coming out is not behavior expressed in our wishes and desires, it's behavior expressed in, a, in our program. Uh, and then it's like the Jesuits have told people for 400 years, they've told them this fact and nobody paid attention except the people in control. The fact is the Jesuits said, give me a child until it is seven. I will show you the man. I go that famous quote for 400 years. It says what? 
Give me a child until seven. Give me the programming time. That's seven years. Actually, it's what it is. Seven years programming time. I go, so give me the programming time. I'll put programs in. And then I say, what? Well, the rest of that child's life after seven, 95% is the program. So whatever I put in in the first seven years, that will manifest uh, in that person's life. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh my God, we were told even that uh, for 400 years, we were told just exactly how it works. Yeah, if I get your first seven years, I own the rest of your life because your life is going to come from those programs. And it's the wake up call, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wake up call that says, yeah, but what about your wishes and desires? I go, that's conscious mind, normally 5%. Uh, and just to close that, Drew, so uh, not to leave it at the very edge like that, because like, oh, man, that's a lot of trouble. No, no. Let me explain something as well. The movie The Matrix, uh, it's science fiction accordingly, but I call it a documentary. Why? Well, everyone's been programmed. That's a fact. You couldn't get here if you didn't get programming in your first seven years, because that's where you get the basic patterns that are in your subconscious. I go, so we're all programmed. So what? And I said, but in the movie, they take a red pill and they get out of the program. And I go, oh, my God. In our lives, many of us have taken that red pill with the most extraordinary results and didn't know what happened. I go, when was that? And I say, science has recognized when we fall in love that we stay conscious. In other words, we die, we stop thinking. It was when we were thinking that the subconscious took over. But if we stop thinking and we stay present, being mindful, just keeping your mind present and no thinking, then you're operating from the conscious mind. I go, and it turns out when people fall in love, they, they stay mindful. I mean, they've been looking for this person forever. They show up. It's like, it's not time to think. It's time to be here with these people. So they stop thinking. And I say, then what? Well, now their life is created from what? Conscious mind. I go, yeah, but that's wishes and desires. I go, exactly. That's why when people fall in love, let go of the programming and then do what? Operate from the creative conscious mind. What they create? Heaven on earth. I go, oh my God. It was the programs that kept us from experiencing heaven on earth. Stop playing those programs. And all of a sudden, guess what? You can create the honeymoon. That is the heaven on earth experience. I go, it's always been there. The only reason we don't experience it generally for ourselves is we are thinking too much. So that's what happens. Uh, you fall in love. You have a honeymoon period. Juicy, love, exciting. world is beautiful. Heaven on earth, blah, blah, blah. But in a very short time, it sort of disappears. I said, well, what happened? I say, because... You can only stay mindful so long, but then you've got job, you've got chores, you've got responsibilities. And the moment they start to come back in, you start thinking. And the moment you start thinking, your life is no longer coming from your creative wishes and desires. It's coming from your program. Did your mother and father have a wonderful, loving honeymoon relationship or what kind of relationship did they have? I say, why? Because you downloaded that. And 95% of your life is going to come from that same pattern. We repeat the patterns in families. It's not genetics. It's learned. And the beautiful part, Drew, you can unlearn those programs and take back power over your life. Mm. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great hook, Bruce. Um, so, so, so someone that, uh, someone that's listening and they're, 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 they're salivating. They're like, Oh, this is, this is it. H how would someone unlearn 
you know, those behaviors. Because obviously, if we have these programs, I mean, we're going to, it's going to manifest as behavior patterns and potentially our yes. entire life. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what's happening. Yeah. So I go, so what? So I say, well, first of all, is this. What the hell are the programs that we got? I go, what do you mean? I said, look, apparently we, we already know learning begins even before you're born in the last trimester. Uh, what a mother is eating is already predetermining the digestive pattern of the of the fetus. It's going to like those things that the mother eats because that's uh, whatever those things are, are, are going from the mother's blood. Uh, into the placenta, which is where the fetus gets its nourishment. So the mother and the fetus are sharing the same blood. Uh, and and I also go, guess what? Uh, you could play music to the, you know, put the speaker near the abdomen and play the music and play the music every day. And then when the baby's born, you play that music and the baby will instantly recognize and respond to that music. It learned it. So I go, okay, learning started before we were born. And then it goes for the first seven years. So I say, well, okay, what programs you get when you were in utero? Well, obviously, that's a silly question. I have no idea what the program was. That's, okay, how about between year zero and year one? You had lived a whole year. What programs did you get? Uh, nah, not too, I don't remember. I go, no, consciousness wasn't working. Okay, from one to two, you got programs. Tell me the programs you got. It's like, again, I don't know. And all of a sudden, you start to realize the first few years of programming, you have no recognition of what the programs are. You weren't conscious when they were being downloaded. That creates a problem, Drew, that says, and what the hell are my programs? And then comes the most wonderful answer, and that is this. 95% of your life is a readout of the program. Your life is a printout of your programs. I go, what does that mean? I say, just look at your life at this minute. You don't have to go backwards. You just have to look at it at this instant, in this moment. I say, okay, at this moment, the things you like that come into your life, they didn't come in there by accident. They came in there because you had programs to accept and you know respond to those things. But the things that you work hard at, struggle over, sweat over, put a lot of effort, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. I go, first question, why are you working so hard? <laughs> and the answer, whatever it is that you're struggling to get to, the struggle is not coming from the outside. The struggle is coming from the fact that whatever program you got doesn't support that. And you're trying to override a program that doesn't support that. That's why you put your effort in. So now... First step, you want to take charge of your life and then look at your life and assess the simple fact. The things you like, you don't have to work on. They already are coming in there, you know, the ones that you want that are coming in, no effort. Because why? You already have a program to let that in. But then look at your life where you're struggling. The things that you want, wish and desires that you can't seem to get easily. And I go, and the reason inevitably why is because an existing program in your programming from that first seven years denies that reality or doesn't support that reality. And therefore, we're trying to override the program. And then I go simple mathematics, <laughs> conscious mind 5% of the time, subconscious 95% of the time. In addition, the subconscious is a million times more powerful a computer than the conscious mind. You put that data together, I say, so how do you think uh, <laughs> it's going to be easy to override these programs? I go, no. No, you're going to struggle. 
because 95% of your life is a program. It's automatic. You had nothing to do with it. You were thinking, and it just unfolded like that. So now we got to start. The start is this. What is it you want that you can't get? I go, why, why can't you get it? And, and you can give me a whole bunch of reasons, but I'm going to give you the primary reason is you don't have a program to support that. And therefore, you are struggling not with the outer world. You're struggling with your own subconscious limitations. So step one, what do you want to be different in your life? And then you have to make a statement of as if you already have it. And you want to put that statement into your subconscious. First reason, why should I put in a statement that uh, that I already have what I want? Let's say I want to be healthy. Uh, and I say, uh, what program would I put in? I say, not, this is not the program I would put in. I would say, I want to be healthy. I go, why is that not a good program? And I say, let's record it. So today we record it. I say, now come back next year and let's hear that recording because that's a subconscious push the button. Let's hear the recording. A year later, we come back and guess what it says? I want to be healthy. I go, geez, the whole year went by and I couldn't get to be healthy. Why? You didn't program you were healthy. You only program the want of being healthy. I want <laughs> to be healthy. I go, well, that doesn't mean healthy. So when you put in a program into the subconscious, you got to put it in as if you already got it. Because otherwise, it's a wish, a want, a desire. That, that, that's not real. That's a, a, always a future. It's always a future. So you want to make it real? Then you have to say a program as if you already got it. You could be sick as a dog. You could be a terminal cancer. I say, yeah, but I want to program I, I am healthy. Not I want to be healthy. Uh, that, that wouldn't be it. I am healthy. And I go, why is it relevant? Then 95% of the day... The program running in your subconscious mind is I want to be healthy, but the body isn't healthy. We have a disease. We have cancer. So they go, but what's the function of the mind? And this goes back to the quantum physics again. Consciousness is creating our reality. So what does it mean? I say, well, I'm uh, not healthy. I got cancer, let's say, but now I want to program I am healthy. I go, okay, I am healthy. Now my mind is looking at the body saying, my God, we have a program to be healthy, and this body is not healthy. So the function of the mind, this is cool, is to make coherence between your belief and your reality. My new program, my new belief is I am healthy. Body looks, <laughs> the mind looks at the body and goes, oh, this is not really true, but I have to make coherence. So what's the mind's function? To repair the body and to make it healthy. And boom, <laughs> that's how it works. But the but the problem is most of our programs, as I already said, 70% or so are disempowering and self-sabotaging. And that's why we look at life as a struggle when, in fact, it wasn't a struggle. It was a program because the moment you took that red pill, fall in love, then all of a sudden uh, uh, your life becomes heaven on earth. And I go, it's always there. Heaven on earth is always there. The limitation is the program. So uh, um, uh, uh, do we have a few minutes? Because I seem to be talking yeah. a lot. <laughs> no, that's okay. We are, Yeah, we have plenty of time. Yeah, Bruce, absolutely. Keep going. Well, so now we come to the, the next part. So A, what is A? Ah, <laughs> my program doesn't support me. So B is I want to put a new program in. And I go, ah, that's where the second problem comes in. I go, what do you mean? I said, the second problem comes in is that 
um, to put that program in, you have to put it into the subconscious. I go, yeah. I go, well, this is, again, remember I said the functional difference, conscious is creative, subconscious is program. Okay. Uh, and, and the relevance about subconscious programming habits are habits do not want to change. <laughs> if you change a habit, then it's not a habit anymore. <laughs> Thank God, you know, as I said, you learn how to walk before two. They didn't change, you know, like one day you wake up and you're 15 and go, I forgot how to walk. No, it's always there. So I go, ah, habit mind resists change. Aha, point. Conscious mind being creative can learn from a book. You could read all the self-help books. And I go, uh, so you read the books and you got very smart in the conscious mind. You know all the rules now. Did your life change after reading that book? And for most people, no. Okay. Oh, we can go to a lecture. Uh, you, you could, in any number of ways of learning, you could even just go, aha, I have a new idea. And conscious mind can change because conscious mind is creative. It goes along. Subconscious mind resists change. And this is where the problem comes from. I read the self-help book, educate the conscious mind, got a very smart conscious mind. But that does not translate into subconscious program. That's why all of us have really smart conscious minds and things what we know should be right and we should do it and all that. And I go, yeah, but even if you know that in your conscious mind, it's only 5%. The, the subconscious doesn't want to change. So I said, well, we could change it. And I say, yeah, but you have to know how you put programs in in the first place and then use that mechanism to reprogram. So I said, what was, how did we learn? I go, first seven years, the mind was in theta, just below consciousness. And I go, that's the hypnosis state. And I go, so I should do some hypnosis. I go, matter of fact, it's very easy. It's called self-hypnosis. I go, what does it mean? I go, the vibration of theta is a lower vibration than consciousness. So before you wake up in the morning, you're, you're in theta. It's like a state of morning reverie. It's like imagination. It's a little like a waking dream almost as you're just coming awake. Once you become awake, you're at a higher vibration called alpha, which is calm consciousness. And then a little later, uh, you start to go into even a higher level uh, of vibration called beta, which is like schoolroom focused consciousness. And I go, so what? And I say, so, okay, you woke up, uh, just before waking up, you were in theta. And then when you woke up, conscious, alpha. And then by the time you went to work, you were at higher one, beta. But when you come home, it reverses. You came home in beta. You relax. The vibration calms down to alpha. And when alpha slows down even a little bit more and goes into theta, that's the moment you fall asleep. So I say, oh, so every day when you come home, you relax. The vibration of the brain starts to go slower. And at the moment you fall asleep, you're just going from alpha into theta, which then later goes even a lower vibration called delta, which is absolute sleep. So I say, ah, between the moment you close your eyes and you went to sleep and before you actually experience sleep delta, you're in a period of theta. I go, what, what does that mean? I said, that's hypnosis. So I say, ah, every night. You put a pair of earphones on and you have a program of what you want to be true in your life. Uh, and there are self-help, self-hypnosis programs all on all different things, whether it's money, relationship, health, whatever. They're all over. And I say, so why is it relevant? I say, you put the earphones on just before you're falling asleep. And while you're still awake, you might still hear what's coming through this 
the, the earphones, whatever the program is. But momentarily, the moment you fall asleep, alpha shuts off, and guess what? Theta, hypnosis, that phase is in operation for a period of time before delta. So whatever is playing through the earphones, your conscious mind just went to sleep, alpha's off, you're in, in theta, the subconscious mind is open. So whatever is coming through the earphones is not going into conscious mind, but it is going into the subconscious program. Repetition of this will take the program that you're playing and actually download it into the subconscious self-hypnosis. So that's number one. Number two, hypnosis works until about age seven. I said, that's yeah, that's when theta uh, is no longer the predominant activity. After age seven, we're in conscious level. So I go, oh, but I still learn things even if I'm not in theta. How did I learn something when I wasn't in theta? I go, repetition, practice, doing this thing over and over again. So you want to play a music instrument? Here's an instrument. Yeah, but until you practice it, you're not going to be able to play it, okay? So there's a part between uh, a desire to learn how to play, a practice part through repetition, that will you keep practicing and practicing and then guess what one day you can play without practicing anymore because now it's a program i go yeah exactly so you can change programs in a second way first way we just said was self-hypnosis second way now is repetition of a behavior repeating that behavior with an exercise uh just to distinguish this from a sticky note <laughs> a sticky note is a suggestion <laughs> it's on the mirror on the refrigerator yeah i should be healthy go oh, great i just read the note that's great i go that's not an exercise you have to repeat something and uh, i always laugh over the new age version of this uh it's referred to as fake it till you make it <laughs> <laughs> right. which means if you're not a happy person i say so you want to be a happy person i said well then what are you going to do i said well first of all you have a program that's not getting you happy you want a program to be happy then what are you going to do repeat as many times during the day as possible you just say it to yourself i am happy i am happy as many times as you can i say why because hypnosis and theta that's lower but repetition is the next way uh, of getting a program. So if you every day you're a miserable son of a gun, uh, and every day in the misery you say to yourself, I am happy, I am happy, I am happy, as many times as you can, repetition. There's a day where you're gonna wake up and just go, you don't even have to say I'm happy, why? Program is in. And once that program is in, that's uh, what? 95% uh, of your life all of a sudden because now you got a new program. So. The first two ways of putting a program in, self-hypnosis, because that's the way we learned for the first seven years. And then we learned after age seven new things like driving a car, riding a bicycle, whatever the heck we were learning, music instrument. We learned those other uh, habits by repetition. So repeating something is the second way. And then lastly, there's a whole new form of psychology called energy psychology, which is like the miracle. I go, why is it a miracle? Because everyone goes, oh, it takes so long to do hypnosis and change the program, or it takes so long to repeat this practice till I learn the program. And I go, energy psychology is a way of engaging what is called super learning. Uh, you, what the heck is super learning? Maybe you've seen somebody read a book by moving their finger down the page. As fast as they stroke that finger down the page, they read every word on that page. That's super learning. And so if you can engage that process, you can download new programs in minutes. 
and this is real. Uh, and I go, why is it relevant? Because uh, necessity is the mother of invention. We, we we have to change human behavior because that's where the problems are coming from. How fast can we change it? Well, new energy psychology, you can change it in minutes. And I say, well, there's a variety of them. Uh, just to offer an insight because of our time limitation, Drew, uh, I have a website, simplebrucelipton.com. And on that website, there are about 20, 25 different energy psychology modalities to choose from you could look at them pick one that seems to be in harmony with your with your life whatever one feel oh that's a good one try it uh because we can rewrite those programs and in fact it's necessary for human civilization to do it uh, uh, right now as we talked about in the way we started this was human civilization's behavior is causing this problem. You want to survive on this planet? Human civilization has to change its behavior, uh, and that's why we're experiencing the chaos. But you can accelerate that change uh, using self-hypnosis, repetition, or energy psychology to help us move from just, you know, uh, trying to survive. We could thrive. (laughs) We can... We could put it all back together again and wake up every day just like you did when you fell in love and you had that short honeymoon. It could have been a day or two or three or a month, a week. I don't know. That's a, how, how long the honeymoon lasts. I go, so why is it relevant? I say, that honeymoon period, your life turned into heaven on earth. And I say, that's because we stopped playing the program. And I say that if we change those programs and you could have heaven on earth without even thinking about it, because here's the fun part. There is a fun part. And that is once you put the new program that empowers you into place, the work is over. Why? Because once a program is in there unconsciously, which it is 95% of the day, you will be playing that program. No effort involved again. It will be automatic. And that's the coolest part. Just put the effort in to change the program. Once the program is changed, no effort involved because now the new one will run 95% of the day. And that's where your power comes from. That's so cool. That's great, Bruce. Um, just a few more questions that I that I ask all my guests. If if we were behind the scenes with you right now at your at your home, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but we had tea once when we did that first movie in your kitchen in Santa Cruz and and, and, and we had such a great time. But um <laughs> Yeah. 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 That was, that was wonderful. But, um, what are some of the daily practices that help you, that keep you grounded and a bit more present? Well, the practices have become habits. Okay. So it's not like I, okay, I've got to, you know, start off with a list and say with uh, my, my habits, I rewrote them, uh, wherever I found struggle, I rewrote them. I say, so why is it relevant? I say, as I said, in the closing part, it's like, well, now that I got the good programs in there, there is no more habit. I don't have to do anything. It's habit automatic now. In other words, I'm not every day working up with a list to say, what what do I need to do? My subconscious already got all the programs that I need for my success uh, and my health and my happiness. So it's not like I get up and have a ritual in my conscious mind because my subconscious mind is playing that ritual all the time. Uh, and it really helps. Uh, to have a partner. And I go, why? And I go, remember the story of Bill. Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad, except for Bill. And I said, well, what if you had a partner that w- that you really trusted and you loved? And I go, love is a real important part here, because 
if someone else comes up to you and criticizes you about the behavior that you don't even see that you have, <laughs> and they're criticizing you, you're getting like, well, get mad at them. What, 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 you know, you, that's not friendly. <laughs> uh, but if you have a partner who you love and you trust, then their words don't have to be an argument. Their words are, are information <laughs> to pay attention to. And so the most important part is if you don't have an understanding of what we just talked about, that's why the honeymoon falls apart. Mm. All of a sudden, uh, you remember I said the honeymoon works because we're not going into the program playing any of the negative stuff. But then at some point, thinking comes in and all of a sudden now these programs that have been dormant, more or less, all of a sudden start showing up. Your partner looks at you and goes, what kind of behavior is that? Who are you? Where did that come from? Uh, that That's a confrontation because the the recipient of that behavior you just threw out from your subconscious, uh, if they don't know that that wasn't you, that was your automatic subconscious, then you get blamed for the problem. And you didn't even know what the hell happened. You're Bill. I don't, even, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I Bill didn't see what he was doing. And then I say, well, now one's accusing the other and the other recipient going out defending themselves. I go, struggle, strife. That's not how it works. It works if both people know that A, programs exist, that we are different than our programs. Our spiritual person, our self-identity, our conscious mind is not the subconscious. And if you have a partner and you and your partner understand this, then when a negative behavior shows up, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's a, you know, do you want that behavior? And all of a sudden the person go, oh, I didn't know I just did that. And I go, ah, now we have a constructive relationship where the observer can help the person who has that negative program deal with it without getting into a fight or criticism or argument or anything because this person is doing it out of love. That's great. That, That's that great. behavior, that, that may not be that great. And then you could say, oh, yeah, maybe it's not. I could change that. And then you change it. Nice. And then your partner has a behavior and you're nice and you don't get into a fight and say, that's a stupid behavior. You go, oh. You didn't see perhaps what you just did. And I go, then arguments don't exist in this case. Now it's constructive operation between two people. So if I'm in a relationship with my partner like Margaret and I show up with a bad behavior, I couldn't see it, but she did. And instead of accusing me of like, what kind of behavior is that? She says, oh, perhaps you didn't see what you were just saying. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, no fight now. Now it's, oh, information I could use to correct a program. Uh, and that's what love offers to that situation. Because love recognizes that person that you're with is not criticizing you. Uh, they're bringing you to attention of your program that wasn't supportive. And then all of a sudden, it's like, that's not an argument. Now we can do something. And I love it. Yeah, that that is amazing. Bruce, my my last question, if, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time 50 years or so and talk with the younger Bruce, what words of wisdom might you tell him? <laughs> about everything we just talked about in the last right. hour there, Drew. Uh, <laughs> the, the simple reality is this. Your behavior is not necessarily your behavior. It's a program behavior. And if you understand that from the beginning, you can say, but I can change a program. I go, yeah, if I would have been able to change these programs 50 years ago, now, you know, I would have been 20 something. Uh, but guess what? That would have made how many more years of living the equivalent of the honeymoon effect, which I've been living for 20 years. 
I could have had 50 years of that, but I didn't know. So, yeah, I would love to go back and say, hey, you want to gain another 30 or 40 years of heaven on earth? You change this program now. That's <laughs> that's where I'd be. Great. And uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, but how can people learn more about you and, and your amazing work? Well, I got a wonderful website because it offers so much free information, videos, audios, written articles and all that kind of stuff, references, everything. Uh, and it's very simple. It's BruceLipton.com. Perfect. I was telling Bruce earlier that uh, in preparation for this, I've been listening to the Beatles. All you need is love <laughs> because Bruce's work is all about love. And uh, we're going to sing a few verses just to kind of take us uh -oh. out of the interview. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> this is the yeah right. Neither of us have has a great voice, but we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot. Um, so Bruce, I hope I'm gonna you don't erase any of the positive things we talked about with this song part. Okay, <laughs> uh, absolutely, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll, but I'm gonna start out here. So love, love, love. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need <laughs> is love. Love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. <laughs> How true. How wonderful and true. That's what we need. Drew. That's what we need. How true, Drew. <laughs> That's right, Bruce. Bruce, thank you so much. It was uh, it was an honor to have you here. Drew, I, I want to thank you for this opportunity to talk to this wonderful audience because by definition, the audience that we have in front of us right now, Drew, are what we call the cultural creatives, the people that are looking for answers that are different than the ones in the box because the answers are not in the box. That's why the box is collapsing. So let's honor our, our listeners here because they are the individuals that will help us move from the current world into a more sustainable heaven on earth situation. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thank you, Drew. Love to be here with you. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.